This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as past teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. I can't believe I'm in Halifax. I feel so spoiled. I kind of think I'm God's favorite. I really do, because as a BC girl, I recognize that I have been in many parts of the world, but I need to get here more often. And one day, when John said, what would your bucket list be? And I said, I want to go to the Maritimes. I want to get over here and, and see if it's true what everybody says about amazing you. And it's even better than I expected. And you know what the best part of Halifax is? The church. There's nothing better than the church. When we rocked up here tonight, we came and we saw, you know, people building church, setting up. Nothing makes my heart happier. Nothing makes my heart happier. I don't care where you go in the world. When you get to be a part of God's house and what he's doing, it's the best of the best of the best. So well done. I am so honored to be here. Well, you heard from my amazing husband. He's pretty cute. He's aged really well, actually. His mustache wasn't that great. But all the rest was pretty great. No, the mustache went, and I'm like, oh, put it back. I don't know you without it, because he had it when I met him in grade 12, middle linebacker on Killarney High School football team. And yes, I was the cheerleader at the time, which is shocking but true. And uh, I told somebody, boy, that Johnny Burns sure is cute, and that started it all, and I don't, I'm not sorry. And so our story, yes, we met in high school. I was 15 and he was 18, so I did tell my children and grandchildren that was actually a sin. You shouldn't be dating when you're 15. You have no brains. You only have hormones, especially an 18-year-old boy. And uh, anyhow, thank God for God. And uh, here we are 45 years later and uh, loving life and loving ministry and loving this season. And after and 45 years of marriage, and I've really liked 41 of them. That's it, just 41 of them. The last 41 I've really, really liked. But ours is a story, you think I'm kidding. No, I'm not kidding. It was a rough start for John and I. And often people ask, how did you end up talking about marriage and family and relationships? I'm like, we needed to learn. And ours is a story of meeting in high school, getting married, falling in love, I was madly in love with Jesus when I met him. As a matter of fact, somebody said, there's a girl in grade 10 that likes you. But if you ever decide to ask her out, do not mention God, because that girl will talk your ear off. He warned you, I talk a lot. And uh, anyhow, he found me. I was his first girlfriend, at least that's his story, and he's sticking to it. And and, uh, I think it's true. He was a very shy boy. He wouldn't even order at McDonald's, because he stuttered. He's a miracle. But uh, we started dating and got married. John was accepted into dental school the month after we got married. And then for the next four years, he studied in dentistry. And in those four years, we had three children. Because that's what you do, John Burns. And uh, that's what I'm blaming it on. But uh, anyhow, I had nothing to do with it. But uh, that's not true. I told you, he's gorgeous. I can't help myself. But we... um, I was very pregnant with our daughter, Ashley, our youngest daughter. I, we actually have a photo. Is that available? Because my family's pretty cute. Now they're like all in their 40s, like I said, but they're pretty cute still. How funny is John in this photo? Like, check me out. 
and all these girls. Yeah, there's our daughters. Ashley is our youngest, Angela and uh, Danica. And Angela, currently, we just handed over the lead of the church to Angela in February. She leads our church. She is the lead pastor. She and her husband are doing a beautiful job there. And uh, they're pretty great. I love my daughters. And we have eight grandchildren. And we do Disneyland every year. So I think there's a photo of them in Disneyland as well. There we are. Our very crazy child's drunk. I don't know why, but he's not. He does not drink. He's, he's fine. But we, he's probably just tired or woke up from a nap. That's what he does at Disneyland sometimes. Because when you're 66, that's what you have to do sometimes. You take a nap in the middle of a Disneyland experience. But he's fun. He's the best thing on earth. But here we were. And uh, after four years of marriage, my life was pretty shattered. Our marriage was broken. It was just... It wasn't broken because of abuse or infidelity or any of the big sins that you think break up a marriage. It really was neglect. He went off in one direction and, and uh, began building his pra- starting a pra- ready to build a practice. I was busy having babies. We forgot to take care of each other. And the, the most tragic thing is um, we didn't continue to build with God in the center. And so in one day, John had moved up. We were building a home up in northern British Columbia in Williams Lake, 350 miles, 500 kilometers away from Vancouver. And John had left. And I stayed home with a broken heart and broken dreams and feeling like the failure of the universe. And uh, so one night, I went to tuck my little girls, Angela and Danica, into bed, two years old and three years old, very pregnant. And as I was tucking him into bed, I was overwhelmed with sadness. God, what have I done with my life? And what have I done with my marriage? I felt like just the failure of the universe. But what I did that night, I went back into my bedroom, got on my knees and prayed. I hadn't done that in a long time. And God met me. It doesn't matter how broken you are, how far you are, God will always meet you. Because he is a relationship God. And in that place, I remember crying out to God, and I remember saying these words, God, I've had life with you, and I've had life without you, and I don't want to spend another moment with you, without you. And I felt God's love come into that room with me. I felt like he wrapped his arms around me and said, I've got you. And I remember thinking, I don't know if John will walk one step forward in this direction with God, with me, but I'm going. I have to go with God. And you can see the outcome God changed my heart. There was a lot of anger and animosity in our marriage. I'm going to talk about communication tonight. And I have a lot of points. And uh, the points are just thoughts that I learned from brokenness. This isn't some formula that that I found in a book somewhere. This is what God taught us about how to have a closeness and a connection in relationship. It's not just for marriage. It really is. These principles apply into every relationship because I am convinced if we can communicate, which is not just information, an exchange of information, it's connected hearts one with another. Everything can change. Miracles happen when we're willing to understand. And even as John taught about the differences, so often we are so challenged. John and I, we could not be more different in our personalities, even in our homes. We grew up within a kilometer of each other, but we're raised in two completely different environments. John told you he never heard I love you in the home he grew up in. I grew up in a home that I heard I love you all the time. We were both loved as children. 
We were both loved and adored, but I heard it all the time. So that was my normal. I just thought I'd hear I love you constantly from my husband because my dad, he told my mom that all the time. And she reciprocated, and they were very passionate and affectionate. Um, John was a little shocked when he came into my family. He's like, is that normal? Do your parents do that all the time? I'm like, yeah. Very affectionate. Kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy, a little pinch here and there and a little grab. That was like totally, it was almost inappropriate, but it wasn't inappropriate. That was normal to me. John was in shock. Because when you grow up in a certain home, you think that's normal. How you communicate, you think that's normal. And often our family of origin teaches us it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just the way that you've learned. And a lot of it is not just unlearning what we've learned. It's learning new ways. Because I discovered there's a kingdom way. That there is a way that we can communicate with each other that puts Jesus in the middle. And that we build our lives around Jesus. And you say, what about the people who don't know Jesus in my life? You keep Jesus in your center and operate out of a relationship with Jesus. And I believe when we do, miracles can happen. And so John and I had to learn how to rebuild a broken relationship. And I had to learn who my husband was, not based on what I saw, but based on what God said about him. I had to discover who I was as a woman, not based on my bad behavior, over the last four years, but God, who do you say I am? I used to read the Proverbs 31 woman and think, I don't like her. I can never be her. Everything about her was like, ah. I'm like, yeah, that's never going to happen. I just would look at her, and I just felt it was impossible. I would read 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, yeah, we had it read at our wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. Ever ready to believe the best of everyone. It's not arrogant. It's not proud. I'm like, can't do it. And the truth is, we can't without Jesus. But when Jesus is the one we're building our lives and relationships on, miracles can happen. And so as far as it depends on you, let it start with you. I couldn't wait. I used to just think, God, I would pray. But my prayers were stupid. It was like, God, fix John. You know how hard I'm trying. (laughs) And I felt like heaven would laugh at me like, you are ridiculous. You need to do a little work on your own self. And as God began to change my heart and began to heal the brokenness in my heart, I began to see with fresh eyes. I began to see with, with what God saw. And I just remember praying. Actually, I got a Bible. And I would take my Bible. And every scripture that I saw about a man of God, a woman of God, a family, I underlined it. I put our initials in there. Now I probably put John's whole name in there. But I, you know, and maybe mine too. But I claimed it. It's like, Father, I know that your word works. And I trust that you are working in me. And I trust that you're working in John. And you know what? We were living 500 kilometers apart. But God was working. And God began to restore. And what I want to share tonight is just some keys that I learned. And so what I want to share about is is just three areas, and every one of them have points in it. But what they are is just ways to kind of assess, if you will. Sometimes go back, how am I doing in this? And, and, And how can I improve in this? Or maybe I can have a conversation with somebody I'm struggling with and say, can you help me with this? Rather than trying to point the finger and think something's wrong with you, let it always start right here. Um, When I think of communication, like I said, it's not just an exchange of words. It's a heart-to-heart 
communication. I don't do that with everyone. But there are people that God has placed in your life divinely that he's called us to have a healthy connection with. And if you're doing anything right, you have to know you have an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy your relationships. And if he can get between you and cause you to pull apart, and communication is what's going to bring your hearts back together and, and, and an understanding. The enemy hates your marriages. He hates your families. He hates this church. He wants to do anything he can to pull you out of relationship. And so I want to encourage you, don't think it's strange when this stuff is going on. Just figure out how to navigate it. And I look at communication a bit like Wi-Fi. I kind of got this idea a while back. And I think, you know, when I go to a hotel or something, I will ask, you know, what the Wi-Fi pass is. And I get on Wi-Fi. And until I'm on Wi-Fi, I cannot download my messages. But once I'm on Wi-Fi, in other words, once I'm connected, now I can get a download. And so to me, communication is connection. Who are the people that you feel tightly connected to? Who are the people that you protect that connection with? And if you feel like a connection has been broken, there is a way back. And we have to believe that, that there is a way back. You can't, you can't do it with everyone. It, has to take, it takes two people who want to connect. But if you want to, all things are possible. I don't think there is anything that is too big to overcome if you want to have connection. And so... Communication is essentially how we carry or convey a message. And I believe communication is actually the accurate pulse on every one of our relationships. How's your marriage? How is your relationship with your children? How is it with your neighbors? Is it strong or is it weak? Sometimes the Wi-Fi is not working very well. And what we need to do is get ourselves in a place to reconnect. And what does that take? So I want to talk about today um, what it takes, what you need to have present in every relationship for healthy communication. I want to talk about dealing with tough conversations because sometimes you need to have those. And then also, how do you reconnect if you've lost a connection? And it's going to actually take an emotional closeness and a willingness. And some of you guys went, eh emotional closeness. Don't freak out about that. But it can't just be head information. There has to be a heart commitment and investment as well. So number one, what needs to be present in every relationship for healthy communication? And I think right at the top, let's just go there, it takes trust. I don't think you should be communicating heart stuff with people you can't trust. That's why people say, well, I met him last night, I told him everything about my life. I'm in love, I'm in love. No, you're not. You can't trust somebody after you've met them for five minutes. And I think that so often we give away way too much information, but we don't really know that person. But there are some people you cannot navigate life with. God has put them in your life for a purpose, and trust needs to be. You can't build the future without trust in the equation. And, you, and we want to build the future. There's people in our life, even in marriages, trust has been broken. And so if trust has been broken, how do we get back to repair it or restore it? Because trust can be earned back. Forgiveness, let me just talk about that for a moment. Forgiveness, when someone hurts your heart, when something happens where they betray trust or whatever it is, you don't have an option as a believer whether to forgive or not. It's an absolute. Doesn't mean you feel like it. Doesn't mean that that's easy. But God tells us, he instructs us to forgive all people 
As you have been given, you must forgive. But we confuse so often trust and forgiveness. He doesn't say you have to, he does say you have to forgive them, but he does not tell you you have to trust them. You trust people who have proven themselves to be trustworthy, and that takes time. It doesn't happen. That's why I believe trust can be restored. But if, with, if there's not trust, what is trust? I put it down as it's built over time through the integrity of a person's character. And until you can't, integrity isn't seen in five minutes. It takes time and opportunity to see if that person's a trustworthy person. And so a marriage, a family, a healthy friendship has to be anchored in trust. And without it, you haven't got what it takes to build the future. Secondly, it takes safety. I think this is so important. Do you know not everyone is safe to have that heartfelt communication with? And I think safety is immense. Again, it, trust and safety aren't exactly the same thing, but I want to ask you, do you think you're a safe person? Safety such as, if I share something with you, Will you cover it? Will you keep it confidential? Can I trust you with that? Are you safe? So often we think because someone says, oh, trust me. Don't ever ask somebody to just trust you. They need to be proven to be trustworthy. But safety is a feeling of being protected. There are people in my life that I trust with my life. That even if I am having a hard day as Pastor Helen, I could call them and tell them today is hard. Today is like, I, I don't know where I'm at right now. And they're going to keep me focused on who I am. They're going to be safe people. There are sometimes, I remember one day, it was quite a while ago, but I remember calling John one day. I had had a horrific conversation with someone pretty close in my life. I was so angry at this person. I can't even tell you. I don't even do anger like that. And I was that angry. I didn't know. And I was going into a meeting. I was actually going to a dinner. And I knew that I didn't want to go in the dinner feeling this. It was such a hard conversation. And ah, I was so angry at this person. But they were very fragile. And I couldn't let this person know how I was feeling. But man, I was feeling it. So I picked up the phone and I called John. And I said, can I just download? And he's like, what's going on? I said, I, I, am, I have to just deal with this. And uh, he's like, yeah, go ahead. So for probably two or three, maybe five minutes, I don't think it was more than that, but like, bleh. He's like, do you feel better now? Yeah, I do. All right, go have a lovely dinner. He was safe to tell stuff to. Not everybody is. But to have a healthy connection, are you guys shocked? Does anybody else ever need to do that? You're all real Christians, right? Um, but, you know, sometimes, like I could do that with my mom, too. She's going to let me know, smarten up or whatever, but she's safe. She's not going to go and say, do you know Helen just did that? I'm telling on myself, but, but it was a tough day, and I needed to process it. I needed a safe person to download on that wasn't going to make me feel like I'm the worst person in the world, but I knew that I couldn't just tell. Because if you don't have a safe person in your life, you know why people put stuff out all over internet and, and go out there and invent all kinds of dumb stuff? Because they don't have safe people in their world. And let me tell you, people that do that, they're not safe for you either. You need to have safe people in your life. And the, th the next thing is respect. Having honor and value in the relationship. You need to have every 
to have healthy, safe communication, there needs to be respect and honor. And I think it means to place value upon. And every person deserves that. And I believe that it is so important to look at person, not just according to, you know, a familiar, John said this early, earlier, that when we get very familiar with somebody, we think, oh, I know how they're going to react. We don't really respect them or honor them or value them or cherish them. We bring them down a level rather than having that level of respect. And I think it happens way too often in marriages and families. We, we just assume they're going to be a certain way. And so we bring them down rather than trust that they really are this amazing person made in the, in the image of God and treat them with the value and the respect that they deserve. God had to show me that. That if I wanted to have a healthy marriage, I had to see John differently. If I wanted to have a healthy staff, be part of a healthy staff at church, I had to not see people in a familiar way, but the way God saw them which meant I had to respect them and see the value and, and be amazed with who they were, not just familiar, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. No, every person, every person is worthy of value and worthy of respect. So you need trust, safety, respect. And the fourth thing I wrote down is comfort. And what I mean by that is a sense of relaxation and ease. And I'm going to just start it this way. Are you easy to come to? Are you easy to approach with a challenging conversation, perhaps? Is it easy to come to you and just have, bring a download and to talk? And I thought about that, you know, as a mother, as a friend. When people come into my presence, do I make them feel easy or at ease or uptight? If it's not easy to come to you, and I think sometimes conversations are hard and they're challenging, but don't make them impossible. Be that person that is easy to come and talk to and, and, and take the walls down. And then find those people in your world as well. I think when we have these things operating, miracles can happen. And I find myself asking myself that question, am I easy to come to? Am I a difficult person to talk to? Or have I made it easy for people to approach me and talk to me? And the fifth thing that has to be in every meaningful relationship in communicating is vulnerability and vulnerability means openness and honesty it means you open yourself up to someone and I said there has to be safety there has to be trust and comfort but you're actually getting real and I have discovered you know Vancouver this has been a shock to me but I guess I'm, I'm it's a sad indictment Vancouver is known as the loneliest city in North America why is that? It's a lot of people around. And you can live with a lot of people around, but that doesn't mean you have relationship. Who sees you and who do you get to see? Because relationships are risky. And if we have been hurt in relationship, the chances of us hiding, we can put on the front, happy clappy, how's it going? But no one really sees you. That's not okay. I'm going to just out um, a situation that we were involved in not that long ago with pastors. And uh, they were all leaders in a great city here in our nation. And they were leading great churches, and there was a lot of dialogue happening in the room. It was a pretty open discussion. 
And we had spent the morning together, and now it was in the afternoon, and one of the leaders that were hosting alongside John asked this question. How many of you in this room would admit that you're really lonely and you feel you're on your own? And more than half the people in that room raised their hand. And then my daughter said, Mom, if you think more than half the people raised their hand, how many more do you think might have been in there that should have but wouldn't? And it just dawned on me again, we will not do what God's called us to do if we are not open with one another and have people in our life where we have healthy, meaningful conversation, where we can actually be seen and be heard. You know, there are so many lonely marriages, so many disconnects in families, and I believe these elements, they're not easy, but they're doable. Like John did with his dad. They had never yet, to his knowledge, ever said, I love you, in a family context. Though they were loved, it was never expressed. And John had the courage to open that door and say, Dad, I love you. That ignited something in John's dad's heart, but it changed the entire um, feel and atmosphere in that family. And every single one of those children and, and grandchildren were the benefactors of opening up a door of vulnerability. John had to break that door open and say, I love you for the first time. But I wonder how many of us in relationship, who can we talk to and say, I love you, or I'm hurting. I need you. Because I think in marriage, sometimes the most powerful words you could ever say is help me. But if it's not safe, if there isn't trust, that's never going to happen. But I want to encourage you to have relationships in your world where you take the mask down and you open up. Because the fact is, we are better together. We need one another. Not everybody can see you or bear the weight of your story, but if nobody knows, we're never going to become the people God's called us to be. We need one another. And that's what I love about church. Church is God's family. It's not perfect, but it's still his plan. And so within the, the church, we need to have meaningful relationships. In our marriages, we need to take walls down. John and I had let so many walls build up. And do you know what? Once one wall came down, the others toppled pretty easily. But it took a lot of courage to take down that first blockage and be willing to walk through that door and make a commitment to invest in the future. I want to encourage you. It's possible to have those kinds of relationships and to have that kind of communication. So... It also means sometimes we're going to have hard conversations. And I used to be so afraid of a hard conversation. I'm a very, my own, my personality is more like, is everybody happy? Can I make you happy? If you're not happy, I'll fix it. I'll make you happy. But that's not what we need. We need to sometimes be willing to have hard conversations and go to the matters of the heart. And so what do you do when there's a hard conversation? John and I, in our early years of marriage, there was so much anger and there was blaming and there was you're my problem no you're my problem but you see me this you know where was so much finger pointing we had to rein it back stop blaming one another take a look at the condition of our own heart that is my 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 favorite scripture or my most used scripture in the bible is in proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 pay attention to your heart because it affects everything you do if your heart's not healthy, you can't have healthy communication. But if your heart is healthy, not perfect, 
But if your heart's healthy, you can have healthy relationships, and you're on that journey. So I'm not afraid of them anymore. Many years ago, we learned, John and I learned how to have hard conversations, and I recognize we are not each other's enemies. We are on the same team. And we used to get, as it were, in a boxing ring com- with our communication, and one was in one corner, one was the other, and one was going to win no matter what to the death. And... Uh, Usually John ran out the door long before because he didn't like to fight. And I was like, nag, 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 nag. That was me. I was like, we will finish this. He's like, no, we won't. Well, that didn't work. Because I was like, you don't just leave in the middle of a conversation. He's like, yeah, done, out of here. And so we had to figure out what works for John and I. And it's throughout just, you have to figure out in every relationship. And so, but I am so happy to say, I am not afraid of hard conversations with really anybody. Do I love them? No. Of course not, but I know the fruit of them because we have an enemy and you may have an issue in a relationship, but the issue is not the problem or, or you, the, you're, the person's not the problem. The issue is so tackle the issue together rather than think they're the issue, right? Five thoughts quickly. Number one, when you have to engage in a hard conversation, learn the wisdom of a careful response instead of reacting. Oh, I had to learn. This was my number one key. Um, Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Oh. The course of a conflict is never determined by the person who initiates it, but how that person responds to it. So here's the thing. Disagreeing is normal. It's actually fine. But disrespect is not. There's a difference. You can disagree but we're still going in the same direction. There's a lot of things, people in my world, I don't agree with them, doesn't matter. But we're going in the same direction. And so we can agree with honor to disagree if necessary. Don't turn conflict into combat. It's just conflict. And conflict is normal. As long as we are here on this earth, there will be conflict. But learn how to deal with it in a respectful and honorable way. And so learn how to respond rather than react. And so you always have a choice in the matter and how you are going to deal with something that is hard to take. Um, If you think you have to win an argument to have peace, you already lost it and you forfeited the pathway to peace. The goal is to understand and to be understood, not to be right and not to win. Amen? Secondly... Learn the discipline of proper timing for communication. Wow. Right now is not always the right time. You have to both be in the frame of mind to have the conversations. And I think when there is um, something that you feel like, I have to fix this right now, honor the relationship above the issue. That is allowing, it's where the relationship rules, not the challenge. Now, some things are emergencies, but that's rarely the case. I think so often we turn something little into something explosive when we could just say, let's just talk about it later. And so sometimes I've, I've you know, say I've come home and thought, John, there's something I want to talk to you about. Is this a good time? And he may say, no, this is not a great time. I've had a big old day. I don't want to deal with this now. And I'll say, okay, when would we be able to talk about it? And he'll give me a time. It's not going to be 2020. But uh, he will give it, we will decide on a time. And what it's saying is, I love you, even though this isn't fixed right now. 
And I think when we do that, parents, let's do that with our teenagers. Sometimes they're just going through stuff. Sometimes you're going through stuff and say, honey, I love you. Can we talk about it later? You know, with your children, whatever. Just learn how to be respectful. Treat your children. How to put some things, not on hold forever, but on hold for right now. And in the meantime, we're civil with each other. We honor each other. We love each other. Nothing's going to tear us apart because we're better together and we're not going to allow some issue to dominate this. Sometimes you're just hungry or, you're, or you've had somebody treat you terribly at work or whatever. Let's just honor one another and put issues on the shelf until we're ready to talk about it and then talk about it in a way that's honoring and civil and respectful. Um, I love this in Proverbs 15, verse 23, in the message it says, congenial conversation, what a pleasure. The right word at the right time, beautiful. And then the next thing is learn how to mirror the relationship back. In other words, make sure that what you said is what they understood. George Bernard Shaw said this, I love it. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Hello. Just because you said it didn't mean they got it. <laughs> so I have learned, so what you're saying is this. Did you mean this? Yes, I did. Okay, great. No, that's not what I meant. Okay, what did you mean? Make sure the conversation that you wanted to take place took place. And then the fourth thing is learn the, the miraculous power of touch. I can't even tell you how many times I've thought, you know, with a child or with your spouse or with a friend, just reach out and touch somebody in a meaningful way. I, you know, I think sometimes, you know, like driving and I want to look out the other window and not talk to John right now or whatever. And I thought, instead, I'll hold your hand. And it, what it does is it just diffuses anger. Touch is miraculous. We could spend a lot of time talking about just the physiology of touch. God created our, our, just that, what we need. He created us to need it. And when we are touched in a meaningful, peace-giving way, it changes everything. And you have the power in you to do that. Don't withhold it if you know you can with a child. You know, give them a cuddle. Do something that says, what you did maybe was wrong, but I love you. I'm here for you. We're going to deal with the issue, but I'm not going to withhold my touch or my love from you. And I believe when we do that, it's inviting the Holy Spirit into the situation rather than putting another wall up. And then never, ever, 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 ever underestimate the power of pray, prayer. Because what you pray for, you, you bring the peacemaker into the situation. I believe so much in the power of prayer. I discovered too, I don't talk badly or have anger towards people I've already prayed for. Something happens in my heart that shifts, that now I want peace with that person. And I've discovered that if I get my heart right and I begin to pray, God can do the work that I could never do. So reconnecting, if you've lost a meaningful connection, take responsibility. You invite the peacemaker into the relationship, into your conversation. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, live at peace with all men. Here's the thing, not everybody wants peace. And if two people don't want to make peace, you just do your part as far as it depends on you. You make sure 
that you do your part. Let's work soon when there is a breach and invite God into the situation. You know what? This may sound super spiritual to some of you, like, wow, uh, okay, that's a lot of praying and touching and forgiving and honoring. Yeah. Because that's what it looks like, is to say, I love you, and I'm committed to you. And so if relationships have been broken, when, when God comes into the middle of it, it's going to be better than it ever was before, and healing will happen. And before you ever, ever initiate a conversation, I've said this already in, when I brought up Proverbs chapter 4, but can I tell you, before you try to take the speck out of somebody else's eye, will you take the log out of your own? Which means deal with your own heart first. I don't know how many times I thought, I need to talk about that with somebody. And I feel the Holy Spirit say, is that really necessary? Maybe I just need to heal your own heart. And I know there have been many conversations that never needed to take place because I got it fixed with God first. And that's my part. I believe that is the core of communication. And then anything else that comes after that can be life-giving and upbuilding and connecting rather than judgmental and angry. We live in a very broken world. You have to make a plan. It's not just going to happen. Somebody has to initiate it. Somebody has to step out and do it. And then extend honor and kindness. It should be known. But please, do you want to take a wall down with somebody? Just be nice. Kindness rules. And so when, it's actually irresistible if someone's kind to you. You don't know what to do with it when you want to be mad at them. But it diffuses anger. And my very last thought is to uh, be, know what you want. Be accountable. I have a rule in my life. John and I have it in our marriage. We have it with our staff. Don't come to me with a problem if you haven't already prayed about what an answer would be. So you don't like what maybe is happening in your relationship right now. What do you want? You know, one of the hardest things that I dealt with was I thought, John, why don't you say you love me more often? And he looked at me and thought, why does anybody have to hear it as much as you have to hear it? And I was just like, that, how could you not want to say it all the time? But to me, normal was always. John's was never. And then I remember he looked at me and he said, okay, so how often would you like me to tell you I love you? And I'm like, once a day? And he's like, all right. Now, this might sound crazy to you, but you know what? A few weeks later, I went and I saw John back in the day. We had daytimers. And on the top of every day, he had written, tell Helen, I love you. And at first, I looked at it and I thought, are you kidding me? He has to write it in his daytimer. And then after, I began to realize what an act of love that was. Because if we never tell somebody what we need from them, and we just stand with our arms closed and think, I'm not talking or telling you what I, my heart longs for. We put walls up. In friendships, we do that. We're like, they should know I want this. How do you know that they know? You have to communicate it. And so just as we close, I guess what I'd love to do is just pray for you and encourage you to actually ask yourself, would you just close your eyes for, for a moment and I'll just ask you a question or two.
and just say, how's your heart? How do you feel in relationship? Perhaps you're feeling lonely and isolated, misunderstood. Some of you, I feel like there's someone in the room that thought, why would I try again? You're telling me that I need these relationships in my life, but everywhere I've gone, I just feel like I've been misunderstood. And, and I can't get close to people. I always get hurt. And I believe that if that's you in the room, and it could be more than one, it probably is. I want to encourage you, that is not the prescription for the rest of your life, is just to keep the guard up. But God is asking you to be willing to take that wall down and not put your expectation in people, but to put expectation on him. And he is going to bring people into your life. They are not going to be perfect, but they're going to be God sent and a part of your future and a part of your destiny. But to get there, you're going to have to take the wall that has been surrounding your heart down and allow him to bring those people into your life. Um, You have to forgive. And forgive means to let it go. And it means to not hold them with judgment or contempt any longer, but to just free them from that judgment and just let it go, drop it. They, They don't owe you anything. And in that place, God can begin to rebuild. Now, you may not trust everybody, and you shouldn't, but you can't keep unforgiveness in your heart and build a healthy future. So if that's you, I want to encourage you today to just respond to God. I believe that there are people in this room that are married, and there has been a real drought in healthy, heartfelt communication. As a matter of fact, you both feel really lonely in your marriage. And I feel like God is just inviting you to close the gap, to reconnect. It's going to take humbling yourself and being willing to just own your stuff and then be open to build again. But you don't have to stay lonely. Somebody's going to have to take the wall down and uh, reach out and uh, maybe even physically um, take that hand or hold them their cheeks in your face and, and their, in your hands and say, I'm committed and I love you and I'm not going anywhere. God, I pray just in this moment that you're here. I know you are and you're the healer of broken hearts You're the restorer of broken dreams. And in this moment, I'm asking you to do what only you can do. And right now, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to ask if that is you, and you know you need prayer, you need a fresh start when it comes to your heart or when it comes to relationships, I want you to just bravely stand up. People's eyes are closed, but will you stand and acknowledge by standing, God, I want you in this moment to heal my heart. Just take courage. Stand up right where you are. Good for you. Just say, that's me. There's no shame in saying help. I think it takes courage and bravery to say, I need help today. If there's others, would you just stand in this moment? I'm just going to pray for you, and I'm going to trust God is going to meet you right there. Amen. So, Father, you see these ones that have made a decision 
that they want to step over the line into freedom in relationships. And God, where there has been heartbreak and heartache and disappointment, God, I pray for just supernatural healing, courage, and strength to press into a new, like a new chapter of their lives when it comes to relationship, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to family. Thank you, God, that you are a healing God and you make all things new. And I'm asking for that in hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. One more thing before the team leads us. I just want to tell you, you don't have enough friends. You don't have enough relationships. God has more for you. Do not close off your heart or think, oh, I've got too many already. I can't take care of the ones I have. There are miracles and destinies that God wants to connect together and they're in this room and they're in your lives. And so I wanna encourage you, stop thinking, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough capacity because I think the more you lean into relationships and into friendships, God is gonna give you the strength and together you are better. And what you can do, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000. And I know that's true in marriage, but I believe it's true in divinely orchestrated relationships. And so I wanna encourage you to bust the door wide open and take hold of what God has for you. He is more for you than you could ever imagine or think. And it's better than you could imagine. Is it always easy? No, but it's worth it because he wants to align hearts together for his divine purposes. We've got a lot of work to do, church. There's a world that needs to know about Jesus who loves them. And we're gonna do it better if we do it together. So open your heart wide. And I wanna encourage you, even as we close in, in this song right now, that you would just say, here I am, God. If you need me, whoever it is, and yes, he does need you, just say, I'm willing. I'm opening up my heart to whatever you have for me. So can we just stand together and, and let's just worship together.